Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Right? Like if you're tuning into the Baseline NBA podcast and you haven't listened to us download any of the other platforms, hey, we love you. Show the love back. So thank you very, very much. You know what I'm saying? Big things are happening. Big things are gone. And especially big things are gone. We have a big guest on board to help us break down the Atlantic division. You've seen him on CNN, MSNBC, CBS, ESPN, NBA TV. He writes for Basketball Society. But you could also catch him on Scoop B Radio. Our man. Brandon Robinson will be on board in a few moments to help us break down the Atlantic division. So you do not want to miss this vital episode of the Baseline NBA podcast. As always, be sure to get my man Shaw at Shaw Sports NBA or get at me at Game Face Lee. The show's Twitter handle at NBA Baseline. Available on all the major platforms like we mentioned before, including Spotify. So download those platforms. Allow us to be your go-to resource discussing all things happening in the NBA. Also featured... On, uh, on Dash Radio, through our people's The Nothing But Net Network. Be sure to catch the Baseline NBA podcast Tuesdays, 9 a.m., where we give you not just the previews for this upcoming NBA season, but always to get your fix on everything you need to know happening with the association. You know how we do, and you know how we roll. Let's discuss the Atlantic Division right now with the breakdown. Time to break it down. Time now for the breakdown. Callie Warren Shaw of the Baseline NBA podcast. As we are discussing the 2018-19, giving you our preview of the Atlantic division. This is a division that I think a lot of people are going to be focused heavily on, especially with all of the offseason movements that have taken place. And here and helping us to break down this dynamic division, uh, we got our man. Uh, we were able to track corner him somewhere out in the, in the city, in the trap. Our man, he runs one of the hottest radio uh, shows going on, Scoop B Radio. You can also catch him with Basketball Society. Our man, Brandon Robinson. Scoop B, what's going on, man? Man, I'm trying to make it happen. How you guys doing? <laughs> we're doing good, man. We're, we're actually really excited to have you on to cover this, this particular division. Um, I know you are situated, like, you know what I'm saying, across the bridge from me. Uh, but really what we've seen over the last few seasons with this Atlantic division is an eruption of talent now being centered and all eyes are refocused back, you know, where the teams lay in one of the bigger markets in Philadelphia, in New York, um, and in Boston. I think it's great, man, because we haven't really seen this kind of love and this kind of hype uh, since 2008. When really all of the teams are running on full on, on full tint, whether good or bad, I think it's great now that people are refocused back on the Atlantic. Oh, for sure, man. And you forgot one important part of the Atlantic division in the NBA. You forgot the Toronto Raptors, uh, our friends across another border in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And um, I think the Eastern Conference, uh, we're, it, we're, we're, uh, I often like to compare it to the NFC East uh, in the NFL, you know. You, you got to talk about the East Coast or you got to talk about those teams in the NFL. I'll be at the, the New York Giants, the Dallas Cowboys, the Washington Redskins, Philadelphia Eagles. I'll be in it. 
you know, the Cowboys are somehow in that division. I never understood that. But when you comparatively back to the NBA, uh, the Celtics, they improved um, by pretty much staying put what they have. Uh, the Nets potentially made a trade with the Timberwolves, but that didn't happen uh, to bring in Jimmy Butler. And, you know, they're where they are. And then, you know, you have the Knicks who added a new coach and the Sixers who, you know, played well and exceeded expectations last year. And, hey, the Toronto Raptors got uh, one Kawhi Leonard in a trade with the San Antonio Spurs in the offseason. Yeah, man. So, and and I think a lot of people were, were expecting, you know, kind of similar to a, a couple of weeks ago, we had our man Jabari Davis who helped us preview the Pacific Division. It's kind of a question of the haves and have nots. Um, you have the teams that certainly have pleth- a plethora of talent, Boston, Toronto, um, in, in Philadelphia, and then the have nots when we're talking about the New York Knicks and, and, the, and the Brooklyn Nets. But with those teams that do rep- that, that we're pulling from the rear, so to speak, over the last few years, we're starting to see some of the talent from the drafts um, and, and opportunities for their coaches to really show what they're capable of doing when they have teams that don't have the type of talent the top tier teams have. And that's so, uh, so many things that we're going to get into as we discuss this this division. So let's go ahead and kick, get right into it. We're going to start from the bottom up, as we always do in discussing the Atlantic division. And so the first team that we're going to talk about is a team that finished in fifth place. And that team would be the Brooklyn Nets. They finished with a 28 and 54 record. So much has been discussed about when is this all going to happen for Kenny Atkinson's Brooklyn Nets. Now he's just coming to the fray. A lot of people talk highly of him coming out um, uh, from the coaching tree of Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra from the Miami Heat. Um, and Shaw, the biggest question that always sits is, what are we gonna? When are we gonna start talking about D'Angelo Russell really taking charge, to leading this group? Can he stay healthy for a full season? And can the Brooklyn Nets start finally start showing all of this talent that they've been drafting to come out and compete on a night in, night out basis? Real interesting that we started with D'Angelo uh, only because of the injury history that you alluded to there, number one, right? And then the fact that it is his contract here, and as we record. They have not tendered him an offer to give him that contract extension as of yet. So D'Angelo is looking to get a deal and probably wants to stay in Brooklyn and, and have, a, have a season that's going to be lucrative in both financially and statistically as well. But will that have the opportunity to, 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 to come to fruition? Because as you alluded to, Kenny Atkinson, he loves to kind of split minutes kind of across the board. Like, notably, we had Spencer Diddley on, what, a couple months ago, and he's saying, yeah, you know, everyone knows we're not going to play more than, like, 28 minutes a night. And that really kind of cuts into your production. You have to be efficient when you're out there. So D'Angelo, as, as a lead guy in Brooklyn, it, it might be a little bit of a challenge, but I think he's the guy with the most talent. But I think you're looking at another guy even a little bit down the line, Jared Allen, you know, 20-year-old center who had a great season last year, and he's looking to kind of now step up into this uh, Brandon, who do you think is should be the lead guy in, in Brooklyn this upcoming season? Well, I, I think you kind of nailed it right on the head when you discussed, you know, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie alluding to the fact that he and D'Angelo will split minutes. I think that they're both just blessed at the girth of point guard position. Can you believe that at one point this summer you legitimately had three starting point guards on your roster? If you, you know, they traded Jeremy Lin to the rights for the rights to uh, Dwight Howard, and it ended up flipping that contract and saving seventeen million dollars in cap space, but. Uh, when you when you look at uh, D'Angelo Russell, yeah, you do ask the questions: Is he going to be healthy this season? Like I said before, there were rumblings about uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves potentially making a trade uh, to bring in Spencer, or rather, to bring in D'Angelo Russell. Uh, he and Carl Anthony Towns are friends, but you know that that deal seems to be pointing these days into the Miami Heat's uh, favor. Uh, but when you look at that team overall, um, one of the things that I think is so kind of swept under the rug is it's, it's the addition of Kenneth Farid in the offseason, uh, a guy that literally really could shine at the power forward position and put in the right opportunity, put in, put it, put in the right opportunity and can shine uh, in Kenny Atkinson's system, uh, a system that is predicated upon uh, the three point shot. Uh, Kenny Atkinson's offense uh, depends on it. And you've seen Rodney Hollis Jefferson, uh, who was starting at times at power forward last year, really a natural small forward. Uh, it doesn't necessarily put up three point shots at, at a clip at a premium, but a guy that can create his own shot. Uh, I'd be willing to argue why not try to put Farid in at the four and bring Rondé Hollis Jefferson in at the three. Uh, but then, you know, you have some other questions. The, the Nets are dependent on Karis LeVert this season. Karis LeVert was an untouchable uh, in the trade discussions with the Minnesota Timberwolves uh, during uh, the last couple of weeks. And, you know, a Michigan product, people are, are, are saying that, I won't say they because DJ Khaled says stay away from they, so I'll say people are saying 
uh, people are saying uh, that Karis LeVert could legitimately uh, put up a, 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 a huge bundle of points for them this year. But I think more than anything, the Brooklyn Nets are a team that's still growing. Uh, you added some veterans this offseason to Jared Dudley. Uh, and then, you you know, you bring in also Shabazz Napier, Napier uh, who, um, you know, was a star at UConn, familiar to the area. And I still think that this is a growing year for Brooklyn. It's an interesting growing year because you got a, a guy that's a potential all-star and D'Angelo Russell that's amongst other young guys. And um, uh, it's interesting. The Brooklyn Nets are an interesting case study on what's next. No, I, was, I think for me, when you, when you look at this, again, it, it goes back to Atkinson's rotations, number one. It's it's real interesting because of they have some duplicity amongst their roster. You know, Brandon mentioned Kenneth Fareed. They also signed Ed Davis this summer. So you can play Davis at the four and the five. You can play Fareed at the four and the five. But then does that push Hollis Jefferson to a, a more natural three position? But then that brings up the question of Damari Carroll and Alan Kraft. The one thing I think Brooklyn is looking at is trying to – I think you're going to have a lot of young guys – trying to do the right thing, um, but, but they also don't have a lot of guys committed next year for, for next summer in terms of money. So Carroll, Fareed, Russell, Ed Davis, Hollis Jefferson, all those guys, even Didwitty himself, all those guys are on mm-hmm. contracts next year. So mm-hmm. Atkinson has a, a crazy, crazy job to do right now because while he wants to get people to buy in and play the right way, and Brooklyn was competitive last year. I think a lot of people that started to catch on to that. They played the right way. They shared the ball. I think they were ninth in assists per game. They rebound the basketball pretty well as well, too. But now, going into a year where everybody has kind of agenda in some degree, he has to manage that. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing about this rotation with the Brooklyn Nets. Brandon, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, you, you said something that kind of stood out. You said the Nets were a team that was uh, from New Jersey and moved to Brooklyn. I think that that narrative is great. Um, but the, they originated on Long Island, playing at the old Nassau Coliseum during the ABA days with Kareem Dujabar, or excuse me, with uh, Dr. J. Julie Serving. And so to that point, when you look at Kenny Atkinson, a guy from Long Island, uh, from North Port, if I'm not mistaken, uh, he's a guy, the Nets have really been trying to sell that New York identity for a while. Uh, head coach that, that has New York City tie or New, the greater New York area ties. And then you, you, you bring in a situation where, like you said, you have a lot of guys that are uh, up for contracts next year, which is a byproduct of the trade that they made uh, in bringing in Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, uh, Jason Terry in, in the trade that they ended up mortgaging a whole bunch of uh, draft picks over to the Boston Celtics. And the Celtics are living their best lives right now because of it. Uh, and, and that being said, uh, you have to wonder, OK, the Nets are building a, a team and they're trying to uh, establish some identity this year. Uh, but then you have two max contract slots. Uh, so you could potentially bring in Jimmy Butler and or uh, Kawhi Leonard in the offseason. And so while I think that the Nets will come play competitive this season, um, you know, th- there are guys that are trade bait for future picks. You know, Rondé Hollis Jefferson has been rumored to be moved in, in some trades. Um, and, and, and also, uh, you look at uh, Damari Carroll. I think he was a veteran guy that was able to, to, to benefit them last year coming out of Atlanta and having some playoff experience. But I think that um, things are going to shift. You know, Alan Crabb. Is he going to be the starting two guard? Is he going to play small forward? Is he going to come off the bench? Then you look at Damari Carroll, like I said before. You know, is he going to take minutes from Rodney House Jefferson? Or, like I said, is Rodney going to start at the three rather than the four? I think his natural position is three. I don't think he's a great shooter, but he can create any shot he wants. And I'll also add that what you said about the Nets uh, playing competitively uh, last season is brilliant. I mean, the Nets... uh, defensively uh, handled the Cleveland Cavaliers at the beginning of the season. I think Rondé Hollis-Jefferson had the block of his life uh, on LeBron James. He, he definitely stuck him, and that's not saying much because, you know, the Cavs ended up going to the NBA Finals, uh, but you can tell that they're living up to their mantra of Brooklyn grit, and uh, I think that this year is a formality for next season, but I think you will see competitive basketball. I mean, they even played tough against the Washington Wizards in a game or two uh, during, the, during the beginning of the first half of the season, so... Uh, I think the Nets are going to be in another growing year, and I think next year is showtime. All right. Well, let's go ahead and transition ourselves right to the Westgate odds. Um, Brandon, they have the Brooklyn Nets at, uh, let me see here, 32 wins. Are you taking the over or under on whether or not the Brooklyn Nets can get at least 32 for the regular season? I was thinking 35. But 32, 35, that's a three-game difference. Uh, that's about within range of, of what I would expect from the Brooklyn Nets this season. I'm going to go slightly under. I mean, as much as I'm worried about the rotations, 
worried about maybe some guys getting in their own head and and wanting to uh, you know kind of go out there and, and shine in their minutes again un- barring a trade that happens right you know before we the show ends or whatever the season starts I should say you know we didn't really talk much about Dinwiddie and then even what his role will be on this team as well too so um, Dinwiddie is a very even 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 killed and level headed guy um, but he he he. He has some grit about him, and he, he wants to play. So does that become an issue with he and Russell at some point, too? So, But I think overall the East is a little bit different than it was last year, obviously with LeBron being out. But this is a team that will be competitive. I just think they're going to sh- come just shy of that 32 in the market, probably maybe 29, 30, 30, something like that. All right, you're tuned to the baseline. Cal Lee Warren Shaw discussing the hot button topics of the NBA. Our preview of the 2018-19 Atlantic Division with our special guest, Brandon Robinson of Basketball Society. Be sure to catch him on Twitter at Scoop B. Let's go ahead and move ourselves right into the team that finished one win better than the Brooklyn Nets, and that is the New York Knicks, a team that finished the season 29-53. and 53. Um, By all accounts, obviously the big talk and conversation um, for the New York Knicks is them finally settling themselves on a head coach. And that head coach being David Fisdale. And while a lot of people were focused on the draft pick, on whether or not they were going to strike gold and getting Kevin Knox, Brandon, I really think that people are trying to center themselves in being confident, believing that David Fisdale is really going to take the onus on enveloping a more winning and basketball heady culture that has been lacking because of all of the drama and chaos that took place when Phil Jackson was president of basketball operation and the nonsense with Dolan. I really think that people now want to start seeing this basketball team take the talents of Chris Stapps Porzingis, the talent of Kevin Knox, and really start buying into the idea that, hey, New York Knicks not only knows basketball, but they have talent that comes out and plays basketball on a nightly basis. Well, I think the Knicks did do a good job in bringing in David Fisdale, a guy that kind of uh, left uh, the Memphis Grizzlies not on his own terms and, you know, had some issues with with certain star players at the end. But, you know, he comes highly recommended, a lead assistant coach uh, with the Miami Heat under uh, exposure, won a couple championships, coached the likes of LeBron James and, and Dwayne Wade out there. But, you know, that doesn't really matter in New York City. It's a whole new ball game. And I think that when you look at the Knicks right now, yeah, he's being more of a college recruiter. You know, he's got a lot of young guys. He's a college recruiter, that's a coach. He's got a lot of young guys on that team. Uh, you're led by Tim Hardaway Jr. You're led by Chris Dasprazingas that you won't start the beginning of the season with. Um, and, and he's a seven-footer with a significant injury. Uh, what I like about this team going into the season, uh, many people don't talk about it. And, and you know, you saw flashes of, 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 of his talent during the, this regular season last year was uh, French guard Frankie Nilakina. I like him. He reminds me that 19, 20 years old, he reminds me of just a, a few different guys. Uh, but if you look, if you're counting on France to be successful, look at guys who came from France that, that flourished in the NBA. Uh, you have Tony Parker, who was a point guard now, remember the Charlotte Hornets. Um, and, and you have some other guys that have played. But um, when I look at that team, the ball seems to really be uh, rolling in Kevin Knox's favor. It's wide open for him to get a lot of minutes. Courtney Lee can hit, you know, jumpers, and he's, he doesn't hurt you. Um, but I still think that this is an experimental phase for the Knicks, and I think they realize it. I think that the Knicks are still uh, not are, this, are still suffering from two moves that they made uh, in the last 15 years. One of those moves, uh, I'll say in the last 18 years, one of those moves – um, being uh, the move to trade Patrick Ewan. I think they've been cursed ever since then. And I also think that the move to get Carmelo Anthony, you mortgaged everybody uh, to get that. And I think there's never been a concerted effort to get things right. It seems the Knicks are doing that, are trying to do that now uh, and looking to count on the 2019 uh, free, free agency period next year uh, to do that. I think that the Knicks are in a situation where the Lakers were last offseason. Uh, where they build around young guys, and then they're trying to make the big splash. And it seems like they're doing the same thing. They're following the same model. So what I want to see happen with Fizdale is, is can he correct this team's um, inability to take care of the ball? You know, they were a lower third in terms of turning turning the ball over last year, and they don't shoot the three ball particularly well. You know, and that's just uh, – you just can't have that in today's NBA. There's still a lot of questions, I think, with even within the front court situation. The only guy that I think we know for sure is starting, or guys maybe, is Hardaway Jr. and, and Cantor now – Knox mm-hmm. probably does get the starting nod at some point, but the point guard situation is completely muddled. Trey Burke came back, you know, great comeback story last year, but 
but is he the starter or do you finally give some minutes to Nilly Lakina? You have Moutier on the bench there as well, too, trying to, I think he's in, a, in an extension year that he needs to be, try to get some money on. And I remember Fisdell, his conference, said, hey, young man, we're going to try to get you right. Well, what does that mean for, for Moutier moving forward? Courtney Lee, as Brandon alluded to, again, can, can still contribute, but it's probably going to be one of the forgotten guys on this team. And not to mention my young son, Mario Hozonio, who they also signed you know, for, the, for this roster on this team. So there's, a, again, a lot of questions with this roster and how the rotation is going to go. And I hate to keep harping on those same points, but um, Fizdale, even in the preseason, we haven't really got a good look at what that's going to be. Lance Thomas has gotten minutes. Uh, Mitchell Robinson could probably get some minutes away from Ennis Cantor as well. You know, where do you think this team goes, especially if Porzingis does not start the season, Brandon? Where do you think this team goes as terms of, you know, being a, a lead a lead horse? Is that going to be Hardaway Jr.? Is that going to be Cantor? Or is that going to be Knox? And I know Cantor seems like a crazy name to throw out there, but no, I mean, he, he, he could very, be, very, very easily be a double-double guy just because of the minutes he should be able to play. Yeah. And, I, and I think to your point, man, when you talk about Inez Cantor, a guy that, you know, was traded – uh, or came over to the Knicks uh, last offseason, I believe, and God has been real vocal. A guy that knows the New York area, he's an East Coast guy himself by way of his home, uh, his, but but he's really taking the onus to really be the face of the Knicks, even if it's unofficially, uh, bullying his way. He and and uh, LeBron James have had their backs and back and forth. And to be honest with you, Cantor has played well in the NBA's uh, preseason, uh, putting up good numbers. And I mean, but the thing is, He's really no uh, no no slouch. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, he went to Montrose Christian, the same high school that Kevin Durant actually went to. Uh, familiar with playing basketball, but I've watched Cantor since his Utah days. I think that in Utah, there were so many guys that he had to play under that I don't think he really got the opportunity to shine. And then when you play for the Oklahoma City Thunder, you're sharing the ball with Kevin Durant and or Russell Westbrook. Um, and I think that at his position where he is, I think he was ahead of his time because he starts at center now. He was considered a power forward center when he came into the league. Now he's a bona fide center uh, in, the, in the NBA. You know, centers are not playing with their back to the basket. He is definitely a, a stretch, uh, a stretch center at 6'11", 250 pounds. Uh, and, and like I said before, I, I really do think that he has the chance to shine on that team. I don't think it's far fetched, but I think it's going to be a combination of guys. If I had to, if I had my druthers about it, I'd say that you know, Ines Cantor. Uh, as well as uh, Hardaway Jr. will all share time. And I think I like your point about the point guard position. Emmanuel, Emmanuel Moutier came in, um, and will he, will he shift over to more of a scoring role rather than a point guard? So I think there's a lot of questions that need to be answered, and they're figuring those things out throughout the course of the season. I mean, this is a basketball team that can actually – These are one of the, this is one of the basketball teams that actually has the potential to tip the scales on the competitive level – between the top tier teams that are going to be representing the Eastern Conference and the bottom tier teams. They're not going to be, you know, they're not situated to be as good. And the only way I think that that can be bridged is how is how we see David Fisdale work on these on these guys to be able to play better basketball. And to your point, Shaw, I think one of the key things on this is because there's such a big question mark at that point guard position. Um, even though Trey Burke has really improved over the last you know, a couple of years going through what he's been through. And finally, I think he's found a home playing in it, playing with the New York Knicks, but Emmanuel Moutier as well, too. I think they found a home. The key is, can these guys help this team not turn over the basketball? And so maybe having a guy like David Fisdale in there to kind of quelch down a, a lot of the one-on-one ISO type uh, uh, plays that they were so accustomed to doing last season might put these guys in a better position to actually start getting the ball to guys that can make shots. I like Kevin Knox, um, and I like Kevin Knox because you you asked me about Fisdale. Ke- there is something about guards that Fisdale is in love with, um, and I think that Porzingis is a, is is such a, um, a, a, tool, a, a he's a bunch of tool in a tool shed, um, and when you look at when you look at uh, David Fisdale's relationship with uh, Mark Gasol it kind of soured, and kind of word is that's what, what chased him around, town, chased him out of town in Memphis. But when I look at Kevin Knox, the thing that I really like about him is his confidence. I talked to Kevin Knox in June, um, just about this was pre-draft about um, whether he was comfortable playing for the Knicks or whether he was playing comfortable playing with the seventy, the Philadelphia 76ers. And he said, either way, you know, I'm going to go in there and do what I need to do. Uh, one thing that gets thrown under the rug or was kind of talked about during the draft time was, you know, his ties to the New York area. You know, Charlie Ward played with his father at Florida State. 
uh, when they won, when Charlie Ward won an, a, a, um, a, a Heisman Trophy. But more than anything, um, what I like about Kevin Knox, I really was impressed with his play in, in the NBA's uh, Summer League. Uh, if, if I said this on a show I was interviewed the other day, if the summer gave the summer offseason gave awards based on people's workout videos in the summer league, everybody would have a championship ring or a trophy. Um, but it really comes down to uh, Kevin Knox in, in the regular season. New York is a, definitely a tough town to play in. Um, but I, I genuinely like um, his confidence. He spoke reverently to me about David Fisdale, said that they had a relationship going in, uh, dating to when you know he was working out for them in the, in the summer league. I mean, Kevin Knox was named the SEC uh, conferences uh, 2018 freshman of the year, averaged 15.6 points per game. Uh, uh, and, and I think that, you know, he's had people support. Jalen Rose has said that he was the guy, you know, that, that, that could definitely come in and make some moves. Um, the Tampa, Florida guy. And I definitely like, I think this guy's the limit for him. So one of the things that interests me about this, you know, kind of final points here on the Knicks is, um, Bridget of mine, he, and it, maybe it's a term that's coined. I just had to hear nobody say it before. Um, but really is about the fizz kids, as as my guy calls it. You know, these young guys who are really who are really kind of have an opportunity now to step up. So as you mentioned, Knox, talk about Nilakina and even Mitchell Robinson, who I think is gonna have a pretty big role coming off the bench this year. You know, Knox aside, really, between Nilakina and Mitchell Robinson, who do you think, Brandon, is actually going to have the most impact this season? Not necessarily who everyone wants it to be, but who do you think it will actually be this upcoming year? I like Nilakina. I like him. I think that he was misused in the Knicks' offense last year, games that I watched. Um, and you can tell that he I, I actually met Frank at a party in February. He's very soft-spoken and shy. And, you know, but but very, you know, willing to adapt to people's culture and adapt to uh, new surroundings. All right, well, let's go ahead and talk Westgate. Odd Shaw, the New York Knicks are at 28. And a little surprising that... We're talking about them in this particular light, that they're going to amass less wins than the Brooklyn Nets this regular season. Are you taking the over or under on the 28? So here's where I'm going to go. That's probably a push, but I'll, get, I'll go slightly over. You know, I think if I had Brooklyn at, you know, that 30-win mark, I think they're going to be right with each other, kind of neck and neck, you know, in the New mm-hmm. York area. You know, battling it out. So uh, they they have some potential. And obviously, if Porzingis comes back, I don't think the Knicks necessarily want that to be the case. You don't want to ruin your draft status. I know you don't. You know we don't tank around here anymore. But nevertheless, um, I, I think with Porzingis, definitely not starting the year um, to to be healthy. That puts them behind the eight ball a little bit. Rotations need to be figured out. Um, so just maybe just slightly over that. Um, but I think they'll, again, I think they're going to be a competitive team just like Brooklyn Nets are. Brandon, what are your thoughts on the over under? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much now subscribing to your theory there. I, I think that we know who the elite, more elite teams are in the NBA's uh, Atlantic division within the Eastern Conference. I, I think um, the Knicks and the Nets will be neck and neck. I, I put them somewhere between the 32 to 35 uh, win uh, category because uh, they're still figuring things out. And uh, But I still do think that the, the Nets uh, are the better team in New York City. This episode is brought to you by Intel. Not that you would turn thousands of vacation photos into an epic GIF faster than getting 200 likes, but you could. Computers equipped with a new 8th Gen Intel Core processor with Intel Optane Memory allow you to take your computer to the edge with faster overall system performance and everyday tasks that are 2.1 times more responsive. With Intel, you can now do more in less time. How much more can you do? How about opening large media projects 1.6 times faster, making sure the boss is happy and the work is done on time? A hard drive paired with Intel Optane Memory can launch games up to 98% faster. Now that's fast! So not that you would compile 30 years of photos into a 30-second video in seconds, but you could. So head on over to intel.com slash you could now to learn more for yourself. For more complete information about performance and benchmark results, visit intel.com slash benchmarks. All right, you're tuned to the baseline. Cali Warren Shaw discussing the hot button topics of the NBA, our 2018-19 preview of the Atlantic Division with our special guest, Brandon Robinson from Basketball Society, as we break down the teams that are representing out of the Atlantic. So let's go ahead and act right about the top three teams that represented out of this division and the team that finished third, although you can make the argument by the way that they played that second half of last season, uh, they probably were the best basketball team um, in the NBA uh, throughout both of the conferences. And that is a team 
uh, called the Philadelphia 76ers, a team that finished the season with 52 wins, 30 losses. Uh, really an impressive coaching job by Brett Brown. We saw the coming out party of Joel Embiid, the the flourish, the, the flourishing nature of the combination between him and Ben Simmons, a team that did make the playoffs and make some serious noise uh, in the playoffs. And, you know, Brandon, when we talk about this basketball team, it is almost as if people have totally, you know, obfuscated the idea that this is a talented and dangerous basketball team. And I think way too many people are overreaching on the idea that, oh, the, the Boston Celtics are, are the team to beat. I, I, You know, people are not really paying attention to the upside that this dynamic duo not only brings to this basketball team, but also the fact that this organization, amidst all some of the chaos with uh, regarding uh, the situation with Coangelo uh, having to resign, uh, Brett Brown maintaining the culture of this team, maintaining the roster, oh, and drafting a sneaky one in Zaire Smith. Now there's depth on this bench. This is, again, a team that people really should not overlook for this upcoming season. Oh, for sure. I definitely think that the Sixers maintain their roster this offseason. Uh, and, and the surprise play of Joel Embiid to many, a guy that was drafted injured out of Kansas. Uh, I think that one thing about the 76ers that, that, that's impressive to me is they didn't really lose anything other than that whole draft mishap, but they had a healthy Markel Fultz uh, who chased his jumper uh, and, and comes in a little confident. I, I, I use this analogy. You know, some people doubt how well Markel, Markel Fultz will play. Um, I, I spoke with Jamal Crawford on the scoop, my podcast, Scoopy Radio, uh, which you can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and et cetera. And he worked out with Jamal, told me that Markel Fultz worked out with him all summer, uh, along with Zach Levine out in the Washington State area. Uh, and I think that when you get into a rhythm and when you're not, when you're healthy, and, you know, he came into the season not healthy, his, his confidence was affected by it. Everybody doubted him, you know, and then he came into a situation where when he came back, he, he collided on a, on a, a, a freak play with. Joel Embiid and Embiid was out for some games, and then Markel Fultz came in and, and really flourished. Uh, I, I like Markel Fultz this season. Uh, I, I think that he's an added addition, and you know we know what Ben Simmons can do. The NBA's reigning Rookie of the Year, uh, but I think that Ben Simmons uh, knows his 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 guys on the team. He's worked on his jumper in the off season, and you have a viable uh, backup in T.J. McConnell, and and I think you know Zaire Smith. We don't know what he can do. He's going to be out for some time, but. Um, I like the addition of former Nick Wilson Chandler to the front, to the fold quietly. He gets you 10, 12 every other game. And I think there's a lot of pieces that, 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 that fall in the, fall in the play. I pegged the Sixers as a top eight team. I picked them as the eighth seed in the playoffs at the, at the, the preseason last year. I think that obviously they exceeded expectations, but I think on the other side, because they came in um, last season when people didn't know what to expect, I think teams have adjusted and they're used to Philadelphia there. So, um, Boston, you're still trying to figure them out because they have all their healthy pieces. Philadelphia, you know what they expect, but they're just missing something off the bench. So for me, Philadelphia is um, a very, very interesting place because they have so many great superlatives that they finished the season off with last year. Top rebounding team. They were second in assists. Uh, they were a top three team, or sorry, top 10 team in three-point shooting. Things of that nature, like a lot of great things for the Philadelphia roster. I think a lot was made, though, about the loss of Bellinelli and Ilyasova, two great waiver wire additions, if you will, buyout seasons, sure. as they say, you know, that are gone. But again, great point about them adding Wilson Chandler, who is now also hurt, um, you know, to begin the year. But this Philadelphia team is, like you said, like they're going to get a shot in the leg a little bit by having, having these different pieces and these supplemental parts because they may be able to look a little bit different once Chandler gets back, once Cyrus Smith gets back, even bringing in Fultz now healthy and ready to go. It, it gives them some different dynamics and some things to, to play around with. Even the, the European guy, freaking Corkmox, he's over here now. He yeah. dropped like 40-something points in the, in the in Las Vegas Summer League, whatever, knocking down the three. And I think this is going to be an attractive destination once buyout season comes again, you know, for them to maybe be able to add some guys to that, to this team and roster that way. Even a guy like Mike Mascala has a stretch five to play behind and beat. So they have some interesting pieces that, that I think Brown is going to be able to maneuver a little bit. And what we're definitely looking to see what ends up happening in preseason, as Fultz has started most of the preseason games when, when he's played, Redick now comes off the bench. Could Redick now you know, vie for a six-man-of-the-year type candidate and also was a guy who can give them that scoring punch off the bench. And 
who plays gritty defense as well. I think Philadelphia is very well positioned. Um, even talk about Dario Saric, who's, again, just a, a jack of all trades, really, really fundamental piece of them, does great things for them, on, on, well, offensively, I won't say defensively, but definitely offensively, <laughs> you know? So for me, Philadelphia is like, it's some people just say, all right, they were good last year. They can't, they'll, they'll be right there because Embiid and Simmons are, you know, are going to be a year better. But it's interesting because I don't think they're quite getting the maybe the quite the respect that they that they deserve in that and and it's not to not to downgrade Boston or Toronto or anything like that. I just think Philadelphia is really good overall, and because they're going to have some guys coming back throughout the season, that's going to even give some different looks. Brandon, your thoughts on that overall? Just again, I know you kind of you know went in depth a little bit, but you know what do you think about what I just said? Basically, no, I think you're you're, you're right on point. And I'll add, we did not talk about Dario Saric. I think Dario Saric will be everything Irsan Ilyasova was, except not defensively. I think Ilyasova was a better is a better defensive player. I've I've, I've marveled at Ilyasova's game. I covered the Nets. Uh, their first year in Brooklyn, uh, for and and would watch whenever the Milwaukee Bucks came to town, and Ilya Silva would give the Brooklyn Nets fits, um, both defensively and offensively, and him going on uh, to bigger and better things. Um, I, I think that 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 lack of uh, Ilya Silva presence is going to make Dario Saric step up. So, CL, I'm I'm going to ask you a question, right? Embiid, is this the year? That he can, you know, be in that top five MVP conversation, or is that does that accolade for this Philadelphia team potentially go to Simmons just because of the versatility? Which one of those two guys, you know, do you think gets into that top five conversation? Well, when I'm when I look at Joel Embiid, um, he definitely poses the swag, right? He has MVP swag. He knows that he's good, um, and and that it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how Ben Simmons plays off of that. Because we're in the age of the versatile athlete, okay? Ben Simmons closely represents the LeBron Jameses, uh, the Kevin Durants in, in, the, in the scope of the MVP picture, the, the Anthony Davises. So his path to him becoming an MVP just comes down to him posting the numbers and continuing to do what he does and allow the Philadelphia 76ers uh, to be one of those top three-tier teams and in, uh, in being the best in all the NBA. But the key to when being a championship caliber team is going to be based on Joel Embiid's play. Because a guy to do what Joel Embiid does, and we've talked about this, this is what has been said when he, was, when he got drafted coming out of Kansas, is this guy has the potential to play like Hakeem Olajuwon. His talent level is all-worldly, and he could even be better than that. And I mean, so if we're talking about the Philadelphia 76ers being the most dominant team, especially in this division and really in the NBA— Joel Embiid has to basically play like an MVP. And for him to do that, it's not just him offensively, it's also defensively, if he has that, that balance. Um, I think the path to his MVP-like caliber is through what he does dominating defensively for the Philadelphia 76ers, which is something that the Sixers definitely need to focus on if they want to compete for a championship. So before we get into Westgate's odds, let me jump in and throw, throw my own Westgate odd into this right now. Embiid played 63 games last year. Both guys, Brandon, we'll start with you. What's the over-under on Embiid? This, I'm going to say 60, 65 games for Embiid. You're taking the over or the under for Embiid? Um, I say 60. And I say 60 because I think just in the day and age of just rest. Um, rest is, is what Embiid needs, particularly because, uh, if I'm not mistaken, didn't they rest him on back-to-back last year? They started it out, and then you know he complained about you know wanting to be uh, a true NBA player, and then they, they gave him they couldn't, the they couldn't they couldn't afford they couldn't afford to do it um, because especially during that time, Shaw, they were sitting I think in the fourth or fifth seed in the Eastern Conference, and then they literally dropped out mm-hmm. to the eighth seed yeah. before they went on that impressive one. Um, and so they had to start playing them on back-to-backs because those wins are critical for them to get into the playoffs. Yeah, so, and so to your point, I, I don't think they rest them on back-to-backs, but I do think they rest them, if that makes sense. And I think that uh, when you look at Joel Embiid and what he offers to that team, um, I, I think that uh, he's too precious to just m- mess it up and, um, and, and, and lose games, but they also just have to give them the proper rest. All right, so the Westgate odds, Brandon, have the Philadelphia 76ers at 53 wins, over or under that amount. I think that's about right. I think 53. I'm going to go take the, the slide over here. 
Um, I think it's probably a 54-55 win team. Um, I just feel like, again, Embiid and, and Simmons are superb all-NBA-level talents, franchise-generational-type talents. And, and Embiid, Embiid's efficiency in just 30 minutes a night is just stupid. So um, I feel like if, you know, if he if, if at any point he's up to 32, 30, even 33 minutes a night um, and, and just, you know, staying out of foul trouble, blocking shots, the way he passes the ball, getting Fultz back, as we alluded to a little bit earlier, maybe putting Redick in a different role to get him to score a punch off the bench, TJ McConnell still doing what he does. Um, I think this is a team that can can, can exceed their, their expectations because they got off to a rough start or like that middle start was a little bit rough. I think they know who they are and know what they can become. And I think they're going to have a good season. All right, you're tuned to the baseline. Cal Lee, Warren Shaw, discussing the hot-button topics of the NBA, our 2018-19 preview of the Atlantic Division with our special guest, Brandon Robinson of Basketball Society. More importantly, Brandon Robinson of Scoop B Radio. Be sure to check him out. He's on all the major platforms, Scoop B Radio, covering all things, not just in hip-hop, music, culture, you name it, my man is on it. And he's with us here to preview the Atlantic Division. So let's go ahead and talk about the team that finished second in the division. However, they were the team that found themselves playing as one of the participants in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, and that would be the Boston Celtics, a team that finished 55-27, and 27, uh, a team that impressively basically found themselves playing in the Eastern Conference Finals without Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, essentially the most important uh, trade acquisitions that they did over the last year and a half. They managed to get themselves into the Eastern Conference Finals without the participation of either one of those guys, which kind of tells you the type of job, not only Danny Ainge, but the coaching job of Brad Stevens and and what this team is capable of if they are fully healthy. So, Shaw... Everyone is talking about what this team gains. This could be more about if you're talking about the Boston Celtics, Shaw. That this is about what the t- what what the end what the Eastern Conference loses in that LeBron James is now taking his talents to Los Angeles, which then everyone assumes is an open door for the Boston Celtics to just step right in and claim what they failed to be able to do, which is to knock off the Cleveland Cavaliers. But why is that task not as easily had? Because we're talking about the Boston Celtics. Yeah, for me, it's it's again we. We think Boston is great overall. They were an amazing, amazing story last season. There's no doubt about it. And getting Kyrie, getting Hayward back is immense to what they're going to be able to do. But I, I do see a slight issue with Brad Stevens. And although he's overcome every obstacle that has been faced him in his five, six years of tenure in Boston, no matter what, when it was starting with Rondo and him not wanting to be there, whether he'd be part of their future, and then, you know, getting Isaiah and integrating him, should he start to come off the bench, all of those things, he's, he's coached his team up. I think this team has a very, very unique problem that a lot of teams wish they did have in terms of really, really trying to figure out defined roles. They've said all the right things in preseason. Well, you don't, we don't care, and it doesn't matter who gets the shot, and et cetera, blah, 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 blah. And that's all fine and good. Um, but I think you're going to see some jockeying for position. Jason Tatum, as, as Brandon alluded to earlier, earlier, been working out with Kobe and Drew Hanlon all summer, and everyone's like, he's in the greatest thing since sliced bread. And again, I love Jason Tatum, but now what is his role? What can he do for you when Gordon Hayward is back? You know, Kyrie is back. Terry Rogier was amazing last year in the minutes he got, and then when Kyrie went down. Stevens has an incredible job of trying to figure out what this rotation is going to be. And God forbid, you know, hopefully they don't have any more injuries, but they have a lot of deserving guys who who could be starters or even maybe all-stars on other teams. And I think that's a lot to manage from an ego standpoint that Stevens hasn't had to haven't had to deal with as of yet. That's my biggest concern for this Boston team. There's there's no doubt they're talented. They shoot a lot of threes, and I don't think they're per, great proficient three-point shooters. But they do shoot a lot of them. And those are the two things that kind of bother me about Boston overall. Brandon, what are your thoughts on the Celtics, you know, kind of uh, at large, if you will? Well, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking of two rappers. Number one, the late Notorious B.I.G. said more money, more problems. And I think <laughs> if there's more money, more problems, you got to have the right team around you to help you stay level headed. And that being said, yeah, they do have a alpha male problem. And the fact that you got so many guys that can start on other teams. Kyrie Irving, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, uh, et cetera. But I think what, ha- what you do have in that system also is the fact that you have a good supporting cast. You have a Marcus Smart who knows his role. Uh, unlike The Rock on WWE says, he doesn't shut his mouth. And you saw him going at it with J.R. Smith the other day. But uh, one thing that I think helps is you also have a Marcus Morris. You also have 
uh, Al Horford, who's a veteran leader and who was really the, the 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 team older brother on that team last year. You also have you know Jalen Brown, who who could easily star and, and drop twenty points on another team. Uh, they seem like a more mature Portland Trailblazers team from years ago. When you had a, a, a glut of talent on that team, you know the Rasheed Wallace, Damon Stoudemire, Detlef Schrempf, and Scottie Pippen days, along with Arvina Sabonis. But um, I do think that you know Gordon Hayward and uh, Kyrie Irving going down with those injuries last season. Of course, Gordon Hayward going down in game one of the season against uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, I think that, you know, that opened the lane to see how good Jason Tatum really is. Uh, I bumped into him at a 2K party last month, and I was just watching him as he was playing the game and, and communicating. It was interesting to see that a year ago, people weren't really checking for him like that. Now when he walks into a room, there's an air of, of, of confidence that he has. There's an air of you know, he's standing next to Giannis out of the combo and people are looking at him like, wow, that's Giannis and Jason Tatum. Who wouldn't want to play on a franchise that has a bona fide two guard uh, that could potentially be an all-star this year? Who wouldn't want to play with a Kyrie Irving who was a multiple all-star and an NBA champion? Who wouldn't want to play with a Gordon Hayward who Gordon Hayward has the relationship with Brad Stevens during his days at, 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 in college? And, you know, all of those things together, I think that it's a, it's a concoction where everybody knows their role uh, and they can play. And I don't really see there being an argument. It's a good problem to have to have multiple people. And so then I use the other analogy with rap. Uh, there's a song by Jada Kisham years ago uh, called Put Your Hands Up. And there's a line where he, scared, where he says, I spray three, so say cheese. I think the, the Boston Celtics are definitely going to put up a lot of three-point shots this year. And I think they'll make a lot of them, too. That's the NBA basketball game right now. And I think that, you know, if the biggest problem that Brad Stevens had in his, in his tenure with the Celtics is coexisting with Rajon Rondo. Well, daggone it, he endured a lot because he endured the days of Rondo. He endured the days of post Isaiah Thomas. And now he's got a good problem. Not only does he have a good supporting cast and stars, a, a, a wealth of stars, they also have draft picks. And if people don't want to be there, they can ship up and sh- shape up or ship out. You know, Marcus Smart could be the starting point guard that Kyrie could leave. Or Kyrie could be the starting point guard in, you know, uh, or excuse me, I meant to say Terry Rozier. Terry Rozier could be the starting point guard and Kyrie could leave or vice versa. I think at the end of the day, uh, having multiple uh, people on the team to, 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 to help win games is not a bad thing. Well, it's it's it's, it's really interesting um, how Kyrie Irving just, you know, announced that he says he's happy here and, you know, he wants to you know, sign his life away with the with the Boston Celtics and the Boston Celtics being the Boston Celtics are like, you know, yeah, that's all nice and well and good. We love you too, Kyrie. You know, pump the brakes though real quick, man. You need to help deliver what, you know, you clearly wanted to leave Cleveland not playing next to LeBron James for, which has helped this basketball team win a championship. There, There's a lot of moving parts when we talk about this Boston Celtics team. And before we get to the Westgate odds, I'm gonna just basically put the one thing that's out there. This is a basketball team that finished 20th in the NBA scoring the basketball. And this is a basketball team that likes to shoot threes. If you ask me if you're going to be a team that's going to shoot the basketball, then obviously it means that you have to continue to have guys out there that are going to be able to create opportunities to shoot the ball the way the Celtics like to shoot the ball. And maybe that's a good thing. To your point, Brandon, maybe that's a blessing in disguise now that you do have Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving back on that basketball court. Um, but I will caution this. If the Boston Celtics want to continue to be a basketball team that does shoot that three ball the way that they do, they need to continue to be among the top three defensively like they were last season to be able to afford that opportunity. So it'll like be really interesting. <laughs> exactly. It'll be really interesting because, you know, I'm not buying or selling. I think that this is a this is a definite top three, top five defensive basketball team. I don't think that it's a fluke. But we've always questioned whether or not Kyrie Irving has shown the heart and desire to play, you know, the type of basketball, defensive basketball. So it's not just about the, oh, Gordon Hayward, the same thing. And I think the dynamic of what made Brad Stevens, why we say he's among those coach of the year candidates every single year, is he gets these guys to play even in the most uncomfortable situations. So we'll see how comfortable the Boston Celtics like to be at being uncomfortable and maintain what they did last season. Let's talk Westgate odds. Brandon, the Boston Celtics, you know, people are saying, ah, they're going to be overachievers. They're at 58 and a half wins. You taking the over and under on the Celts. Hmm. I'm going at 51 or 52 games. Yeah, so I have a lot to say, and I'll, I'll make it quick. 
Um, one, that Kyrie situation, him wanting to commit, we don't really know what that means. That could be like, I'm going to take one-on-one deals like LeBron did. So unless it's like a four or five year deal, like I, 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 I got to see it happen first. So I think there's obviously you'd rather have him saying he's willing to stay than not. Um, but it could very well mean he's going to take one on ones, you know, with player options and things of that nature. So, you know, don't want to get too overexcited about that just yet, but it's a good thing. I love the way Steven has this team kind of connected defensively, as you alluded to. You know, I think there are some great individual defenders, but more so they do play, you know, as that, you know, that puppets on a string type of type of mentality and everybody knows their role. Um, I do feel like they are going to struggle a little bit. I think some odds had them at early on as winning as many as 60 games. Um, I was definitely not about that life at all. Um, I think 58 is, is probably where they should be if everything were to go right. But I'm also going to take the under and i think it's going to be a, a cluster jam between toronto philly and boston you know probably in that 55 to 57 range already so although i prefaced my toronto pick here a little bit no doubt um i'm definitely saying boston's going to take be slightly under 58 all right well then we're not going to waste any time let's get right into the team that did finish first and let's just be clear the toronto raptors finished atop of the division with 59 wins so there is a seven win spread between the Celtics and the 76ers between first and third place. And if we're saying that the talent level for these three teams has either improved or has stabilized, that means the gap of these wins may actually get even closer as we further our discussions into this. So the Toronto Raptors fi finished with a 59 and 23 record. I'm sure that all conversations is about them getting Kawhi Leonard and what obviously drowned out and filtered out was what happened to Dwayne Casey, who wound up being coach of the year, and then his services were no longer needed with Toronto. So let's start from there, Brandon. Um, usually in a situation like this, it should be all bad when we talk to Toronto Raptors, but I guess a good thing of having, I don't know, uh, you know, a, a great executive go and get you <laughs> an all-world talent like Kawhi Leonard, regardless if he's interested in playing in Toronto or not, m must mean something is, is afoot that Toronto ain't going anywhere just yet. They ain't going nowhere. And uh, I think that what makes that situation so uh, intriguing is, number one, uh, Kawhi Leonard has to sit out uh, for a little while, kind of in a situation like a Bookie Cousins situation out in, in Golden State. Um, but you, you look at that, that Toronto Raptors team, I mean, one thing that I think they actually added uh, that's going to help them immensely this year is Danny Green. I think that they're going to be a good uh, shooting team. Um, you, you had Kyle Lowry. You know what he can do. Um, you, you know what all of the other role players on that team could do. But I think that more than anything, they've strengthened. I, I expect OG Onanobi to step up this season uh, at, at, the, at the small forward position, uh, swingman, if you will. Um, I like... Um, everything that the Toronto Raptors have done. But I think that as much as people pay attention to uh, everything that the Boston Celtics are doing, everything that the Philadelphia 76ers are doing, and the fact that, you know, LeBron James has left the NBA's Eastern Conference, many believe, and, and I can see it, that the Toronto Raptors are a dark horse in the NBA's uh, Eastern Conference. There's some history there. We've never had a, a non-U.S. team go to potentially to the NBA Finals. And, you know, there are a lot of exciting things that go on. But you know, once you get Kawhi Leonard into the rotation and you see what happens with that, you are have legitimately uh, have a lineup that has the best two-way player in the NBA in Kawhi Leonard defensively and offensively. He's everything Richard Jefferson was supposed to be potentially. And uh, you have that in Toronto with Kawhi Leonard. And I like it. So for me, you look at the Raptors' overall outlook, and I think a lot of it depends on Nick Nurse as a, as a coach. He's highly credited for the, the transformation of the offense last year. I know a lot of it went to Casey, but those closer to the situation say Nurse was the guy who kind of convinced Casey or kind of helped him along with making offense be more free-flowing and not just pick-and-roll heavy with Lowry and DeRozan, where they had to share the ball. And that took the ball out of Lowry's hands a little bit. Now what happens now with you have some new toys to play with and with Kawhi who can also handle the ball even more so than DeRozan did in a better way. Um, how do you utilize him? I think the question I'm also looking at, too, is the front court situation. Uh, Valanciunas is a guy who was long tormented by Casey. You know, we just there were times where he would be out there. Then Casey was like, nah, bro, you can ride this planet right next to me. You know, what does Valanciunas' role look like this upcoming season at 26 years old? He's got a player option next year, which I'm sure he's going to end up taking his name has been littered in rumors for years now uh, but does Nick Nurse find a way for him to finally be impactful and effective um we saw one preseason game where Valanciunas started one where he came off the bench and Ibaka was the five starting five 
So that's the situation that I'm going to be watching very closely, I think, to see what ends up happening there. But there's one thing you can't deny about Toronto is the way they play defense and their bench. Bench was, I think, fourth in scoring last year, but first in overall point differential. Uh, so they outscored everyone else's bench by roughly 10 points a game. That's just a huge, huge advantage to have, you know, when you're going uh, go, going up in the rigors of any of any conference, but especially in the Eastern Conference as well, too, and, and within the Atlantic Division with Boston and Philadelphia being so strong. Brandon, I'm going to ask you this question really quickly. What do you see from a guy like Fred Van Fleet? You know, he resigned, you know, one of the, I think one of those 1201 deals, you know, on July 1. You know, what role does he come in and play? Do you see? see them also like how Casey had it, or does he close some games with them with Lowry and maybe obviously Kawhi Leonard moving to a three, three spot? I mean, he's a young guy. Uh, I think that when you look at Fred Van Fleet, or excuse me, Van Fleet, uh, I, I want to, first of all, agree with you uh, what you said about Nick Nurse. I think that Nick Nurse um, definitely came highly recommended and a guy who did him in the offense, the text winner to a Phil Jackson, if you will, in implementing that offense. They passed Jerry Stackhouse over uh, or they they passed they they hired Nick Nurse over Jerry Stackhouse. They showed the loyalty that they had to that team, and I also expect um, Valenciennes to step up this season because he doesn't have Casey on him. To your point about Van Fleet, um, the guy can shoot. Uh, in the preseason, I believe he shot close to 38 percent from three point from downtown, um, and I think that more than anything for him, um, it, it, it fulfills a role because I think more than anything um, at the point guard position, I think that when you give a lot of minutes. Uh, to your point guard in their high-octane system, you might not have uh, a situation where Kyle Lowry is able to produce uh, an offseason. So I think if you put Van Fleet in, you, you put him at games as the primary ball handler uh, and, and, and rest for Kyle Lowry. And I think that, you know, I think that he can help them, particularly in a system where um, you have some alterations, where you're not heavily dependent so much on one guy to score so much and one guy uh, to, to, to handle the ball so much. You look at a situation with Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard could legitimately, you know, play point forward in that position and, and Van Fleet can play off the ball. Um, he's a guy that can score. He's a guy that's young. And um, I like the, the, the implications of doing so many different things with them in that free-flowing offense. All right, let's talk Westgate odds for a basketball team that finished fourth in the league in scoring and uh, tied sixth in the league in defense. This is about as well-balanced a team as you can co possibly come up with, Sean. So it's really deceiving because the numbers should point in the favor of us talking about a Toronto Raptors team being an Eastern Conference final participant. And over the last few seasons, they have just fallen short. So what are we talking about here for a team that might not even finish be, be, be the best team Coming out of the division, Westgate has them at 55 and a half. Are you taking the over or under on the 55? Oh, jeez. Oh, man. That, that's that push right there, bro. So uh, yeah. uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to cop out and say that's right where they should be. I know we got the half in there. Uh, but like I said earlier, I think they're in that 55 to 57 range. So, you know, I'm going to go. They probably finish second or third in the division. And sure, I'll go with that. And in answer to your question, uh, where I see them, I mean, I think they're in that three-headed monster of, of the, the Sixers, the Celtics, as well as the, the Raptors. Uh, it's hard to say. I put them somewhere in between the 50 to 55 game uh, wins, but that, that 50 to 55 uh, could be the difference between first and, and, and third or fourth. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna play it safe and say they'll be in the top three, but somewhere in between 50 and 55. All right. Well, there you have it. We've locked it down. We've basically put all these teams on notice for you, the listeners here of the Baseline NBA podcast. And so let's get right into our predictions of the division. Brandon, I'm going to start with you, starting from the bottom to the top. We in here. Holler at us. Tell us how you see this division playing itself out. Um, so we have, I think, I think the Nets will do better than the Knicks. So the Knicks at the bottom. Uh, the Nets above them, I think. And then you're going to have uh, Toronto, then Philadelphia, then Boston. I think Boston takes the Atlantic Division. All right. And I'm going to go with Brooklyn at the bottom, New York fourth. I'm going to put Toronto third, Philadelphia second, and Boston in first. And again, I think those guys will be within a game you know, two games of each other between one and three. And then probably even at the bottom with the Knicks and Nets, probably one or two games apart from each yeah. other. Two. So not drastic changes to our, of our flip-flops here. Um, but, you know, that's just how I see it. Cal, what you got on it? Really quick, bro. All right. Well, I got the uh, Brooklyn Nets finishing at the bottom of the division. I have the New York Knicks 
Uh, there's something about, to your point, Brandon, Kevin Knox. I think that there's some potential there. We'll see how Fizdale uses that kid. Um, and then this is where it gets really interesting. For me, I have the the uh, the Philadelphia 76ers finishing third, the Toronto Raptors finishing second, and the Boston Celtics finishing ahead. This has been an awesome, awesome preview. Brandon, man, we appreciate you so much for bringing in the vibes, the full of vibes, and uh, also keeping our people at a premium on their hip-hop know-how because, you know, they can't be jumping up on our show and not be knowing their hip-hop, brother. Of course, man. You got to represent. If people do not know where to find our man Brandon Robinson, you can always catch him on Twitter, at Scoop B, his show, Scoop B Radio, which covers all of the things you need to know and hear, not just in the hip-hop culture, but also with regards to basketball, sports, culture, you name it. Our man is on it. He's on the mo on all the major platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, you name it, Spotify. You find him, you lock him down just like you lock us down here at the Baseline NBA Podcast. For the Baseline, Cali, Warren Shaw, we appreciate you guys. Thank you for tuning in to our 2018-19 preview of the Atlantic Division, and we'll catch up with you next time. Scoop B Radio. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.